Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clear Path Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, we're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned, and thanks for joining. simple question for you. Um, how many of you believe that the Holy Spirit is real and that he's, that he speaks to people, that he draws us? How many of you have been wrong about what you thought God might be saying to you? Great. We can all raise our hand for that one too. Um, one of the things that God showed me a number of years ago is that God is the best at revealing God. And doesn't happen any other way, actually. He has to do it. And, and so a lot of times I'm praying before I preach, God, would you, um, you, would you use my words? Like, I don't, um, there's been plenty I've said that if I look back on, I disagree with now. Um, and so I'm just, I'm having to constantly come back and submit myself to the Lord. Because like, there's a journey of growing to know God. And so there's just a submission and awareness of my inability to comprehend and to say everything that God might be saying. And so when I, when I uh, sometimes I do this, but when I, I was sitting there, the Bible talks about anointing oil. And so I just went and grabbed some oil and put it on my hands and head just to remind me, like I can smell it while we're sitting here. And that might seem weird, but you can, you can read about anointing oil in Scripture. But... Um, to remind me that I'm completely dependent upon him. Like, I'm completely dependent upon him. And so I just want to invite you. Like, I don't really, don't really like everybody, I don't always ask everybody to do this, but I want to invite you really quick to recognize that your perceptions about God aren't God. And just, just the same way that I have to come up here and stand and submit myself, like, in order for God to speak to me, I speak to you, I have to come and go, Holy Spirit, like, what am I wrong about? What are my judgments? What are the things that you want to reveal? And so I want to ask you, just like even in this time, um, as we come into the message and to communion, I want you just ask the Holy Spirit that he would help you, that he would help you to be submitted to him, that he would help you to discern what's true, what's untrue certain there are going to be many things that that I've said that that are not right but God um, I just feel like he wants to open up our hearts this morning and so just invite the Holy Spirit to come and lead you like humbly Lord I pray that you would help us to lay aside 
judgments and perceptions that strengthen us in our conversations, but weaken us in our dependency on you. I pray that you would help us to see with the eyes of mercy, God, that we would see without fear. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray. We pray this every week, but I want to make it practical. I pray that the Spirit of God would come in a spirit of wisdom and revelation, as the Apostle Paul prayed, that there would be a knowing of you that would happen in our inner man. And God, I just pray that we would be willing, we would be willing to come again as a beginner, as a child, new to encounter your love, your truth, your wisdom, your beauty, your, your everythingness, God. And so, Lord, I just pray for many people this morning. I just feel like God says, I, just be a beginner again. Just be a beginner again. So, Lord, I just pray, as we do pray every week, I pray that there would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we might know you, that we might know the the hope to the calling that you have for us, that we might know all that you've given us um, that is available to us to walk in the fullness of who we've called to be, God. And I pray that, um, that your words would come and they would impregnate our hearts, they would bear witness in us, Lord. Jesus name everyone said amen well I promise you those those, these last two songs fit so well with the message that I want to share with you today I promise you that wasn't planned um, ministered to me Um, but before I can get straight into the message I need to give you could somebody grab me a bottle of water Andrea normally does it but they're like over here in these baskets. Yeah. Um, so, need to give you a little um, update in our on our building situation. So let me let me back up before I talk about that and tell you. I I actually shared this last year, but it's I think it's worth a refresher for those that might not have been there, and just as a reminder. Um, how many of you are aware that we um, was a company that my family, my parents owned that officed over here in this building? Um, a number of years ago, that company was sold to a large bank. And the reason that we have met here for all these years is because um, they were very generous to let us meet here for free. And then as that bank came in, um, we got this like very low cost rent, which has which we've which we've been, and there's nothing going away about that right now. Let me just alleviate your concerns there. Um, but we've we've been meeting here for a long time. Oh, thank you, because of that, and and so we're really grateful for that. How many of you have been grateful for this space? And um, oh man, it's all the oil on the hands. Um, <laughs> so, one of the things that also happened when my parents sold that business, which is a bit unusual part of, that, of the story, is they have throughout their entire lives demonstrated pretty enormous generosity in front of us. You know, 
people talk about um, you know tithing, they always they always showed us and taught us giving far you know far exceeding that. And um, I remember this moment when my dad was younger, where where he how we had he had about a hundred dollars left. You know what happens when your parents get successful is is, is people just think you grow up like rich your whole life. But <laughs> I uh, my my dad had a hundred dollars left to his name, and and he felt like okay I can't you know or he had two hundred dollars and he was like I can't pay bills this week, um, or you know he felt like the Lord was compelling him to give money, so he gave. He gave the $200 in the offering and just was like, okay, God, you're going to have to provide this week. And so I'm saying all that to say they, they lived a very generous life. They, they, show, they demonstrated that to us. And in addition to that, when they sold the business, they also wanted to be generous. And so they, um, they, they gave um, a pretty significant amount of money. I'll just tell you so that you know. They gave some millions of dollars to a nonprofit, which is which was goal was to benefit Christian ministries and to support them, um, to advise, to financially give, yada yada yada, and and so that has been something that that I've gotten to be involved with. I've gotten to help other nonprofits. I've gotten to help work with different ministries, and and it's just been an incredible. It's been an incredible thing, and so last year. I had had this, sometimes God speaks to you so explicitly, and most of the time it's not this way. But I had this, I had been praying for a long time about a place that God would bring our community to, that the actual place would express a type of holiness and beauty and set-apartness um, unto the Lord um, as, as a testimony of who He is. And and so I had this vision one day of, you know, this rectangular style building that had glass walls all around it and was in like this place with trees and kind of grass and nature. And so I came one day and I shared this. For years we've been praying and looking for a space for a number of logistical reasons, which I will explain in a minute. Um, but... But I want to tell you the spirit reason first. So I had this vision. I came in and shared it. And, you know, uh, Zane is in the staff meeting and is a real estate investor. And so is very knowledgeable about what is available in the world of real estate. And I share this. And um, what, he, what he says is, um, well, that's very nice. But that doesn't exist. So we will have to build it. And I described a flat roof. Rectangular walls, glass, and literally, and like, like um, I think it was at that same time I got a notice on my doorstep from the bank that they wanted to talk to us about our lease, and I was like, okay. <laughs> and so two months later, a month later, we there's so many other elements to the story that I can't even explain, but we find this building. That's literally this exact, like, I don't want to say exact, but very close to what I saw in the picture. And we mentioned last week that we might be making an offer on this building. And so at that time, I, I brought my dad out to see it because I, 
do a couple things for my parents. I help them invest money, manage you know, some of their investments. I also help them with nonprofit. And there are other things that a nonprofit's doing. And my dad drove up and he said, we're supposed to buy this place. Like, I just know. And he had a number pop into my, his mind and it was like reasonably close to what the, what the, like, the going rate for this building would be. And so at that point, we made a offer on the building with the contemplation that the church would either be a lessee, once again, at a, at a reduced market rate, or, have, or make out some sort of arrangement to be able to finance the building through this, through this nonprofit. I'm, I'm telling you all this to say, so that you have context of how we are where we are. And, and so anyway, they didn't, they didn't, the negotiations never went anywhere. They pulled the building off the market. And like, like a month ago, we, we just, it just kind of came up on the market. And, and last week, we got an accepted offer on this building. And so we don't have a new building yet. Let me be clear. We have been spending this last week and the remainder of this week doing an enormous amount of diligence to understand is this, is this actually a good purpose? There's another part of my brain that is an, is an investor as well, and we want to make sure that we are a good steward of, of finances, whether they're the church's finances or whether they're whoever's finances. If this makes sense, like all stewardship, stewardship should be applied in all situations. And so, so, so far, that has gone really positively. And how does that, how does that affect us? Um, it's very possible that we could be getting into a new space. Um, and, and at some point, I've told you, in our church culture, we don't really ask for money. How many of you have ever been here where we've asked for money? We, we don't ask for money. And that will remain. I went to a church that I loved growing up, and you know there was a culture of giving, but not a culture of pressure. But I've been in environments where people get a need or the especially buildings and they start um, pressuring people for money and Paul says something very clear he says every person should give what is intended in his the spirit is intended in his heart to give and so we've just had a conviction over the years that we would not try to coax people for money through guilt or berating them is that fair because um, I don't want to go to that church. If I were, you know, a person that was just attending churches, that wouldn't be a church I would choose to be a part of. Um, that being said, money is needed to do things. And so we're grateful that we have a resource. Um, there probably will be a point in the next number of weeks or month where I will give our church an opportunity to, um, to sow into us being able to enter into the space. I don't know the arrangements of how that's going to be. I'm not, we're not going to then do a nine-month building campaign. We're not going to have a raise the funds meter in the, in the sanctuary. We're not going to do any of that. But I am going to present you the opportunity to be a part of it because I feel like that it's actually robbing you to not be able to contribute. And Andrew and I will also contribute out of, out of our own own finances. And I just want to share you that. So that gets to the question of why do you spend money as a church? Um, because money can go to all sorts of things. One of the things that we're working on compiling 
we want to do like a full, like kind of first annual business meeting this next year, but we're working on compiling to be able to show you what a budget, what a budget looks like on our church. And I've reviewed like with our lawyer and with other church consultant folks, what does the budget look like for churches? Like how do you index things? And what we are under indexed on is like staff pay and like lots of ex- like, like rent expenses. We've always been under indexed on that and we've always been over indexed by, you know, in comparison on things like benevolence, generosity, missions. Like I can't tell you the amount of times that people have been shocked, and this isn't something coming from me, it's just our body. The amount of times that people are shocked where they're like, you just, you covered that for us financially. Like, you're doing that. In fact, Andrew and I, how many of you have heard us talk about Care Portal? We are going to be able to have the opportunity to meet needs in the community. We are going to meet our first family today to deliver them a crib and some needs for a new child. And I'm so grateful. And so I... My deepest desire is we've been able to be flexible to help people with counseling, with food, with, with whatever it looks like. And I don't want to compromise that. And so I'm unwilling to put us in a position budget-wise that would compromise our ability to do that. Does this make sense? And so um, in saying all that, why do you, why do, why, we feel like the Spirit led us here, but what are some logical reasons that we might need a space? Well, the first, the first most logical reason is that we have like a, we have a three-month rental on this space. And we were just, you know, notified the other week that they, they no longer want to let us in because for security reasons, they want to, let, you know, we have got to come with a key. If we ever don't come with a key, they can't let us in. So they've done things incrementally to say like, this isn't really the preferred, the preferred thing for this company to have a church leasing. Does this make sense? They would much rather us go away than pay our rent. Like the, the, the meager amount of money that we pay them is irrelevant to the many billions of dollars balance sheet that they have. And so, so the first logical reason that we need a building is that this, this tenant could kick us out at any time. And, and I expect at some point they will. So that is... That is something that, that's the first reason. This, this, the second thing is that we want to get a space that's financially reasonable for us and also can be stewarded in multiple ways. And so one of the things that we're looking at, we believe that we can accomplish, is utilizing the church as an event space, which in our estimation could get us close to, it may not, but it could get us close to a net you know, just neutral in terms of cash flow so that whatever, we, whatever monthly costs we have in paying for the building could be com- somewhat offset or completely offset by use, utilizing it a couple nights a week for weddings or events, which if we can do that, that maximizes our ability to keep being generous to people. Does this make sense? I know that there's like this business stuff is not the most exciting things, but we have to think this way sometimes, and not my preference, but we have to talk about it. So, so, so the second thing is we, we wanted a space that, that would maximize the resource. The, the third thing, man, I'm going to have to condense this message because this is taking a bit. Um, the third thing is that we wanted a space that would be conducive for this existing community and also conducive for us reading out, reaching out to those who are hurting. Jesus says he did not come from the well, but for the the sick. 
And so one of the things, if you, if you study this, is that generally, you know, your means, the higher you go up in means, you're more willing to drive to a place that you work or you go to church or your kids go to school. And when you're reaching out, if you want to reach out to those who have need, you will have to go to them. And I have no, this is not a judgment or a knock, but there are 8 billion church plants in Frisco and McKinney and Allen and places that are developing. And there's not churches going this direction to buy, build, buy space to do ministry. Does this make sense? And so where we, where we have, the space that we have is, is up Interstate 30, a little ways, and it's just south of 30. And that's not normally the place that people choose to go put their finances, but we believe, and we've believed for a long time that it's, that it's, um, that it's likely a place that God is calling us to. Everybody with me thus far? That, that also being said, we did some just preemptive, like, review, and, like, when you look at, like, GPS on a Sunday morning, it is a two-minute further drive if you're driving from Forney, and it is a three to four minute th further drive if you're driving from Rockwall or Rowlett or Garland or wherever. Partially because this mesquite mix master is ridiculous right now. Um, so it's, it's something that we don't want to just tell you this is what we're doing. We want you to pray with us and, and ask the Lord to give. And if the Lord speaks to you, please talk to us. The one thing we have to consider is that it's not entirely a gift, but this is almost a gift to us. Does, that, does this mean, like, we couldn't just go make this. We, we have always had good money in the bank as a community to protect us and be able to, to continue to be generous. But, like, being able to pay this rent and renovate a space for nine months, it's, that's a very costly thing um, in terms of just the cash flow of that. And so this is an incredibly generous gift for us to be able to get into a space that's, in our opinion, pretty ideal for us, um, that we wouldn't be able to accomplish financially ourselves. And so if we want to hear, we want to hear whatever you feel like God is calling you to, but calling, but we have to remember that Zane and I have looked at every property that's come available for six, seven years, anywhere near 30. And there are just not as many options as you think that there would be. And so having something that is, A, there's some financial provision for us on, and B, there, there, there's optionality to actually buy it in a price range that's reasonable is, you know, it's kind of a miracle. So that, that could be somewhat conducive for our community. And so I'm really encouraging you. We're kind of at the last week. After this week, we will have to make some decision. We're thinking about... We do have a Friday night hangout, but we're also thinking about, we try not to ever schedule two things in a week. We're thinking about Thursday night going and praying at the space. And we have to figure out if they'll give us permission to do that. But if you would be willing to participate in that, we will find some way to pray Thursday night. And so, everybody, everybody good with that? Yes. Oh, it does in fact have glass walls and a flat roof and a rectangular, it literally, I mean, and the nature, I mean, I, I don't want to say it's exactly what I saw, but it's as close to what I, I mean, what I described. And that's not, I'm not saying, oh man, I'm awesome. That's awesome. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that sometimes God confirms things really specifically. 
And, but, I'm st- but we still have to remain open to maybe he's leading us down this path and this won't finalize and there will be some other future, but we feel like God is in the middle of it. Yeah. Amen? Can we just pray really quick? Because like, this is like my brain's in business mode. <laughs> and I need, I need a buffer to shift my... Um... Lord, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are both the God who is the heart and the truth. Um, You're not a God who just feels. You're a God who has great wisdom. And I just pray that you would help us, God. Give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. Give us insight. We thank you for the confirmations you've given. I pray that you would just even draw us together as a community around what you're doing in our future. We bless you. And especially, we've been praying Isaiah 61, especially how our future as it pertains to caring for the captive, the hurting, the broken, the least of these, God. I pray that you would position us, God, to be a community that, 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 that demonstrates your love and mercy and care to those in need in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Man. Is it okay if I preach for a minute? Tell me if you don't, you know. <laughs> um, this is like first note is explain building, 12, 15 minutes long. <laughs> um, the other thing is scripted, so it's quick. It looks long, but it's quicker. Um, I'm going to skip some of this. But I want you to see something about God. And I want you to see something about the story that we are in, in the, in the creation, in the cosmos, in the church, in our individual lives. Like God is a people who has invited, he, he's not a people, God is, a, is one who has invited his people into covenant with him. And we're not only invited into covenant, we're invited into a story of covenant. And that's why in Ephesians 2, 13, it says, remember, this is speaking to the Gentiles who weren't Jews. It says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in in Israel, and foreigners to covenants of promise without hope, without God in the world. And so what Christ does in the covenantal work is that he draws us in to the promises that he has already given to his people. You, You didn't have hope, and now you have hope because you get to stand on the firm promises of God. Amen? I, I want to put it simply that covenant, in covenant, there is a promise from God. And on top of that promise, there is a response from his people. And then in the context of the promise and the response, there is a relationship that happens between God and man. There are like five to six major biblical covenants, depending on how you look at it. And then there's some other tertiary ones. But I want to just give you them really quickly. You have a covenant with Adam, which is implied, not explicitly stated. And you have what Jeremiah calls the new covenant, which is the covenant that we've been brought into by the blood of Christ, his death and resurrection. In the covenant of Noah, God reaffirms what he said in creation, that he loves his people. He does not want to destroy them. He won't, you know, wipe out the world. And that he wants to be with them. In the covenant of Abraham, he says... I will bless you and make you a great nation. And through you, I will bless all the nations of this earth and you as a country will inherit this land. 
I'm going quick, so just track with me. With Moses, he comes and says, I'm going to make you a people who are a kingdom, a nation of priests. You're all going to minister to me. And, and then he gives them this, um, the, the Torah. He gives them the, the scriptures, the first uh, you know, parts of our scripture to be able to, to abide and live by these ordinances of God. So we go from Moses to David. And with David, he says, I'm going to use your offspring to build a house and, it will, and your line will last forever. That's fulfilled through Jesus. And then finally, we have the new covenant, which we are grafted into. Amen. And, um, but I want to tell you something really quickly about the covenant of David that's, that's important. Um, I, at the beginning of this year, I, I've gotten distracted from this, but I, I started this process of trying to quickly go through the, the entirety of Scripture and notate all the conversations that men and God are having. And how many times it's just God to man, or how many times it's man to God and God to man. And just like notating the times that Scripture explicitly shows us that there's a conversation happening between God and man. And a lot of times God is just talking. There's something very unique about David's covenant that is different from the other Old Testament covenants. The covenant of Noah and of Abraham and Moses, God just comes out and says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. The covenant of David comes in a different way. Um, It comes through a realization in his own heart of a desire that he has. And so I want to read to you from 2 Samuel 7 so that you see this distinctly. Um, but, But just give you, let's just go through the memory of David real quick. David is anointed king as a young boy. He has to run from Saul. He goes out and, you know, hides out. He kills Goliath. He goes, hides. He goes and hides in caves. He goes and hides in the enemy's land. He does all this stuff. He's running um, for most of his life. And so there's a huge part of his life that the favor of God is on him, but that he's gone through a lot. And he even whenever he finally gets to be king, he's like 30, even though he was anointed when he was 13, he's, he's fully, in, you know, comes in at 30. He still has to fight for another seven or eight years. And he doesn't actually come into the, to Jerusalem where the house of God will be permanently until he's like 37, 38 years old. Everybody with me? And so this covenant that he, this is on the heels of all of that ceasing. He's fought, he's run, he's done all this stuff. And in 2 Samuel 1, I'm flying so that we can move. 2 Samuel 1 through 2, this is what it says. Just see this. It says, after this, the king was settled in his palace. The Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in the tent. So I I want you to see this because it's important, is that when David, when God begins to talk to David, before God talks to David about his desires and plans, actually what happens is an awareness or a desire emerges in David's heart. Do you see that? He has a realization. I've got, God's helped me. He's like, but where are, where is God residing? Pause that thought. There's a psychologist that, has had, that have had a major impact on society. His name is Abraham Maslow. How many of you have heard of Abraham Maslow? And 
like many influential intellectuals, he was Jewish. He grew up in New York City. He had immigrated from Russia, from Kiev, when it was still uh, part of the Russian Empire. And he came here, and he articulated something that's one of the most uh, crystallized forms of practical expression of humanism that has, like, ever been crystallized. Do you have the thing? I Okay. How many of you see this? This is called the hierarchy of needs. And it describes this thing that at the base level, we have like psychological needs, air, water, food, shelter, clothing. Then we have safety needs, protection. Oh my gosh. Physiological needs. Yes. That's my brain is moving quick. So uh, then we have love and belonging, esteem, and self-actualization. And what the theory of, uh, the theory of this is that in this process, there are graduate, once you get certain needs and desires met, you're able to move to another stage of needs and desires. I do think that this tool, you could pull it down, it's good. I do think that this tool actually, in many cases, is very helpful in explaining to us certain issues in life. I don't think that it's an exhaustive explanation, but at times, it's very helpful. Um, And I, um, so look at this. I want you to see this. As David reaches a level of safety from his enemies, his heart comes to the conclusion. He reaches a level of safety and his heart becomes aware of something he hasn't previously been aware of. He desires for God to have a house or at least become aware that the house he is living in is nicer than anything that's dedicated to the Lord. And in this awareness, it actually becomes an incredible obsession. I I just put a few scriptures in here so you can see this. It becomes an incredible obsession in David's life. Just just look at a few Psalms, and I could go for days on this. It's Psalm 27.4. One thing I ask the Lord, this is the only thing that I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek Him in His temple. Look at Psalm 26.8. Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. Look at Psalm 23.6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You get the idea. Like this becomes, as he becomes aware of this, in, this um, intuition, this desire in his heart, he becomes obsessed with it. But there's a really obscure one that I want to focus on, and this is where we'll live from for a while, is there's a psalm where David is crying out to the Lord in the middle of some calamity. And in this psalm, people are against him. They're mocking him. And he's expressing his angst to God. And in Psalm 69.1, he says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. But as he keeps going on and on about those who hate him, we come to this part of the psalm that's really particular. He says, I'm a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my mother's own children, for zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of of those who insult you fall on me. I want you to just hang on to this thought, zeal for your house consumes me. I'm going to keep moving. This, This week in our Abide Journal, which is the scriptures we read together, it's John chapter 2. And this is the opening of Jesus' ministry. Don't worry, this will all tie together. Um, that it's the opening of Jesus' ministry where we see Jesus turn water into wine. We also see him calling him his first disciples. 
And he was very careful to await the, the perfect time to reveal his ministry. You see how careful is when his mother comes to him and says, hey, do, you know, turn this water into wine. And what does Jesus say to her? It's not yet my time. And he does end up doing it. But you have to understand, Jesus, Jesus is waiting because God works in seasons. Um, but as his ministry becomes obvious and more tr- transparent, in verse 13 of chapter 2, we see a transition in Jesus' focus. It says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get out, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. When the disciples saw this, they were reminded of what was written in the earlier psalm. Jesus, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. They remembered it. They remembered this obscure thing that God had said a long time ago because they're good little Jewish boys and they had memorized those psalms. And I asked uh, Chandra to recount the story for me. How many of you remember the story, shout, the song, Shout to the Lord? Shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Nobody sing with me? <laughs> there we go, yeah. Okay, mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of his name. That's the line I want you to see. When I've heard the story a number of times, like, a, you know, especially from Kevin, because Kevin's the kind of person who tells you that, that his favorite stories are numerous times. And uh, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> totally poking at you. But they, uh, um, yeah, his, they were sitting in Mexico and there's mountains off in the distance, and they're in the ocean, and Toby's four years old, and he goes, Mom, this is when the mountains bow down and the seas roar. This is when the mountains bow down and the seas roar. The disciples looked at Jesus, and they saw Him, and He said, Oh my gosh, zeal for your house will consume me. How many of you have ever been in a moment where it just like something you learned in life or from God or from Scripture or for a song, a song, it just it just crystallized in a moment. You went, oh, you know what I'm saying? In John 14, Jesus tells the disciples, "When the Spirit comes, He will lead you into all truth." And then He says, "He will bring back to memory things that He has told them." Jesus' main desire, okay, man, I just don't have time for all this, but John, John 14, 15, 16, 17, there's a leading progression. In John 14, he's saying, I'm going to send you the Spirit who will lead you into all truth. He's going to guide you. He's going to bring to your memory. In John 15, Jesus keeps going on this frame, and he says, I want you to abide in me. Like, you have to abide in me. Do you know what abide means? Somebody yelled at another word. 
stay, remain. NIV translates it as remain. So John 14 says, I'm going to give you someone. I won't leave you. John 15 says, I'm going to remain with you. John 16 reiterates the same thing by saying, again, I'm going to give you the spirit. He's going to help you. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. And then John 17, we reach the point where we have Jesus' longest prayer. He prays to the Father about the ministry that he's done on earth. And he says, Father, I've kept all those who you've given me. Not speaking of the whole world, but speaking of his disciples. Because the way that he thought of the success of his ministry was by keeping those that were around him. And so what this, what this whole progression is, is that God is concerned of giving you himself so that he can keep you in himself. That actually this thing happened with these little Jewish boys when all that they had, they had learned about the Psalms, it Boom, it hit in a moment. That's zeal for the house. Or like a four-year-old who looks at the... When, when the Spirit is working in you in wisdom and truth and power and love, he, it keeps you in Him. And so Jesus does this whole thing through the end of His ministry, leading His disciples to know that His main focus is, I'm not going to leave you and I'm going to keep you. Are you tracking with me? And so everyone say, God wants to keep me. God wants to keep me. Um, over the last few years, I have watched so many friends concede their faith. They've conceded um, whatever, like everything. They've conceded levels of morality that I, I hadn't contemplated. And, I, and I've watched our culture lean into things that I never thought it would, I never imagined we would give this. We would get to. And here's what I see in the midst of, we have the most rapidly changing culture with technology. We have the most rapidly changing culture in all of human history. And in the midst of this, the church is kind of having two responses. There's this, this super compromising response. And then there's this other response that's like, I hear preachers with a lot of fire, boldness, whatever you want to call it, Who's, who's, who just yell at culture. And they're just like, look at all this crazy stuff that's happening. And they high-five their congregants because everybody's like, yeah, I agree. Those crazy people are taking our country from us. And I'm, I'm being silly, but this is real. Like, this is real. The response to the, to the change has created fear in people. And the change has caused people to act in judgment, not in rightness of thinking. And I, I want you to see this. This is, this is really important. Where are my notes? Hold on. When Jesus comes onto the scene, he doesn't go confront Roman culture. He doesn't, I've been to the Pantheon in Rome. He doesn't go to the Pantheon. He doesn't go to the idols of, he doesn't go to any of the myth mythology. He doesn't go talk to Rome about their wars. Do you know where he goes to make, his, to make his confrontation? He goes to the house of God and he turns over tables. And the disciples see it and they don't say zeal for whatever consumes him. They say zeal for your house consumes me. And we've gotten this thing all backwards that we think that our role is to sit over here and just point, 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 point and not to actually realize that God's pointing at us. We're the ones in compromise. 
I really believe that it's a time where God is calling the church back to holiness. And the, but the thing I just feel that we have to get pregnant with in our hearts is that zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. I will not be consumed by the zeal of fear or judgment or hate or even compromise, but zeal for the house will consume me. My message is not to go stand on YouTube and say whatever about whatever. It is to speak to the body of Christ. And that's, what, that's the heart of Jesus, is that he would have a pure and spotless bride. We already know there's not going to be a pure and spotless culture. We already know that in Scripture. This isn't new. It's very easy to look at our culture and get distracted by thinking that our role is to point out how every wicked person is wicked. But I believe the intensity of God's eyes are fixed on the holiness and purity of his bride. And I believe the one promise we have from scripture is not the purity of Babylon, it's the maturity of the church. We don't have a promise in Scripture that culture is just going to all of a sudden look like kumbaya and hallelujah. We have a promise that Jesus' people are called to remain faithful in the midst of whatever it is. And that you will be matured to the place that you can walk in it. So I say all that to say that this, this fall, I've, I've prayed about doing this for like five years and I just... I don't know. I, the one gift of starting early in ministry is that you find your stupidity faster. That's it's literally like if I would say, what's the benefit of pastoring early? Like you're going to find your stupidity. You might as well find your stupidity early. And, and so you realize as you, this isn't just a trite statement. You realize as you go, like your knowledge what you know is far exceeded by what you don't know. And so like even, I, I make reference to this a couple times, and this isn't a, oh, cool, you're awesome, but it's just me scared, scared, very much scared, is that like when, when I processed hell a few years ago, I, t I told Zane it was going to take 18 months before I teach on it. I took three years because it scares me to like talk about things and say things to you as though they are true. And I want to be deeply processed about what is, what is truth. And so this fall, I want to talk about how we remain holy in a changing culture. And that covers everything from, that's going to cover everything from sexuality and gender and technology and culture and all those things. But the heart behind that is, I don't have anything to say to the wicked, Paul says, what are you doing out here judging sinners for sin? That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 6. What are you doing out here judging sinners for sin? Sinners are sinners. They can respond to me and be born again. But, you, but your issue of judgment, your issue of calling people to holiness is in the bride. It's Ephesians 4 that the bride would be brought into the spotless, pure bride, perfected into the headship of Christ. And that is what God is calling us to. I've watched too many people at this point fall down the river of culture 
And I just like, there's only two responses. There's only compromise or stupid, like just hate shots out on the YouTube world. It frustrates me. Like it actually frustrates me. Because I have friends that aren't Christians that were Christians. That frustrates me. So we need to pray. We, we need to get pregnant with this, that zeal for your house consumes me. I'm so tired. I don't want to hear, I don't, I haven't, I don't get on social media anymore because I don't want to read another thing that some random person has to say about anything. I'm, it's, I'm here, you know, like I'm, I'm here with it. Like I, it is holiness he wants here. If you stop pointing outward, you'll start seeing that you're confronting the speck of dust in your neighbor's eye and you got a plank in your own eye. That's, that's where we're at. And so I feel like, though, that there's, a, there's an openness for me to be transparent with you in the body and say that we are the ones being called up to a higher standard. We are the ones. Man, it's ridiculous to me that we're asking people who don't believe in Jesus to hold a biblical worldview. Like, that's just like, what, like, what do we, what do, like, ah, <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. But we need to pray for wisdom. Here's what we need. Here's what I do believe, is that it is a time, this, I believe this is timelessly true, but I believe it's uniquely true at this time. When Jesus speaks in John 14 about setting his people apart in holiness, he says the, the spirit of the truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And so it, we are coming into a time, I believe right now in history, where we have to examine what does it mean for God to call us to be more holy, to live more set apart lives, not to live segregated lives, not to live isolated lives, because we've done that and that doesn't work, but to live as those set apart. What holy means is that I'm devoted to one thing. I'm devoted to him and his plans for my life in the world, not mine. I believe this is a time right now. I believe we need to pray for wisdom and creativity from God on how we live not completely separate but set apart. And, and what does it look like? How do we have a sincere influence and not a compromising one? I began reading the book of Daniel this week because I felt the Holy Spirit told me to. And, I, and as I read through Daniel, I realized that Daniel blesses the wicked, the wicked kings. He serves the wicked kings. And the influence that he has is birthed out of his willingness to be holy unto the Lord. It's his willingness to pray three times a day. It's his willingness like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego to go and open their doors and pray and to not bow before an idol. But to make this practical, like there's always a golden image calling for our worship. And you won't have influence by going, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story isn't like, hey guys, this isn't something you should be doing. They're not talking to anybody. They're just standing. 
And that's what Daniel does. He just stands and believes, and his favor comes from what God does in him, not on how he garners favor. We've played the culture game for so long, trying to garner culture, garner favor with culture, trying to, it's, it's be holy and God will give it to you or it will be disingenuine, period. Listen, I think people demonstrated here. Jordan, I wish your wife was in here, but you guys demonstrated in the way you raise your kids. I watch it. Like, I see the way your kids talk about the Lord. You demonstrate holiness. Like, I have a friend, the Winkowitches, who moved here from Montana because they just felt like God called them here. Do you realize how weird that is? Like, Zane and Tiffany, you guys were processing a whole lot in your life. And in the middle of processing, you decided, like, you're going to homeschool your kids. I'm not saying everybody should homeschool their kids. I don't homeschool my kids. Praise God. <laughs> but it's a holy thing. They're, like, if we will sit with God and imagine with Him like David, what does it look like not to fulfill my plans, but what does it look like to be holy in this time, God will give us ways. We just need to pray and seek Him. So I was thinking about this series and what I want to talk about, and it really just boils down to holiness. It really boils down to holiness. How am I allowing myself to be set apart? So Maslow believes this journey ends in self-actualization. You know, it's like you graduate physiological needs, safety needs, esteem, love, actualization. And I, I've sat through so many talks of this, and I was sitting in a talk with this with a whole bunch of, like, influential business people, and I was listening to this talk, and I just was like, I, I don't want to hear any more about this. I don't care anymore. I don't want to hear one more talk about self-actualization. It has a place. Because the gospel is not a gospel of transcending into who you are. It's dying into who you are. Your favor does not come from your potential. It comes from Jesus. David wrote those words, zeal for your house consumes me. He also wrote, God, you know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. I have not mastered holiness. I could pray this prayer with David. God, you know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. I keep thinking I'm beyond something and somehow I'm stupid again. But I believe in my, mm, I believe he's calling us into holiness. We can confer upon the purpose of life what humanism or whatever, we can confer upon the purpose of life whatever we will confer it upon, or we can let Jesus through holiness define what life is for us. And I think there's a role to play. Like David has an occurrence as all this, all this, he's this revelation, as, as all his safety needs are met, he goes, 
Oh, like God, I want, I could do this for you. And he becomes obsessed with the house of God. That's my, that is my heart, that we would become obsessed with the holiness of God. We would become obsessed with what he is doing. And I believe if we become obsessed with what he's doing, then like, then all of our fullness and potential will bloom like a flower and soil and spring. But if you spend your life trying to make yourself bloom and not submitting to him, you're probably not going to bloom. Or at least not in a way that's the best. So point, God's calling us to holiness. I think he, he wants us pregnant with this word that zeal for your house consumes me. And on that note, um, I'm going to invite us to the table. But before I do that, I, um, I started reading Daniel again this week. And I, uh, as I opened it up, I was reading Daniel. You know, people call this thing the Daniel fast, the thing that you see in Daniel 1. There's no mention of it being a fast. It's just, it's just like they don't want to compromise with whatever is the king's food. And they don't even like dry up and blow away. It's like, it's like they say, actually, the, the fatness on their body is better than the other men. That's what it says when they get done with this 21 days. And so I felt like the Lord said, I want you to go on the Daniel diet with me. <laughs> we'll call it the diet. <laughs> I want you to go on the Daniel I'm not going to do it forever. But I'm going to do it for two weeks. And here's the reasons. First of all, I want God to make me holy in the midst of where we are right now in our culture and our history. I want God to make me holy. I haven't arrived. I, I need more and more to be submitted to him. So I'm doing that. Secondly, I'm praying and I'm asking the Lord. Daniel was a man who walked in great wisdom. Daniel 2.22 says that he reveals that which is in darkness, that which is concealed. I can't remember the full reading of it. But he, he gives us wisdom. So the second reason is I'm praying for wisdom for this community in relationship to building practically, but in relationship to all that God's doing. And so I'm saying all this to say is that I'm asking you to go on the Daniel diet with me <laughs> and pray. We're going to be praying Thursday. Um, if you don't want to, fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. But, like, I think that there is an opportunity right now. We began this year in fasting and prayer to seek his face. And I think there's an opportunity right now just as, like, a, as a thing of solidarity to step into what it looks like to live a holy life. And I'm going to be doing that for the next two weeks. I will do the typical thing of I will put this uh, paper upside down. And if you want to join me with this, um, write your name down. I'll put us on some sort of WhatsApp group and, you know, share some thoughts. I'm only doing it two weeks because we're going on a mission trip in three weeks, and I don't believe the food that we are going to be provided on the mission trip will be Daniel Fast worthy. Um, and, and so I want to be considerate of that. Also, I want to eat tacos. Um, so two weeks. If you feel prompted, um, join me. Let's just pray before we come to the table. Lord, I pray that you would call us into your holiness, God. That you would not, um, I remember John Wallace said years ago that we don't have passion because our passion spilled out on other things. God, I pray that our passion and zeal would be focused in on what you're doing. That you would help us, God. 
And I pray that we would be, we would be pregnant with the words of David and the words that the disciples saw in Jesus on that day, that you would turn us towards your bride. And I pray that you would prompt people to fast and pray. I, I, I confess that I'm weak and I'm stronger with others. And so, Lord, I pray that even, even for my sake, there will be some people fasting and praying with us in this time. And we just pray that you will do powerful things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may come to the table. Listen, if you're here and you're like, what the heck did he just talk about? Um, I was, Andrew and I were talking about this morning that when the disciples um, were following Jesus, the Romans called, called what they were doing the way. It's not a Mandalorian reference. It's just a really old reference. <laughs> um, and the way is through Jesus. He is both the shepherd of the sheep and the door of the sheep. And if you find yourself lost, alone, hurting, broken, Jesus is a doorway. He's a doorway not just to life in heaven and an escaping hell. He is the doorway to abundant life here on earth. And so if you find yourself wondering where you are in the world, like, um, I would love to pray for you. And I just want you to know that he is the door and he is the shepherd. He is the leader and he is the way. And what we're part of is the way. It's the way of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, you do what you do. And you reveal yourself. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clearpath Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at clearpathdallas. Thanks for listening. Can't help.